Welcome to the Volusi Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. touch you directly in the soul bits. What I want to do is give you some Velocity Podcast daily affirmations. You can choose the one that you feel resonates with you. Wake up in the morning, look yourself in the mirror and say, this is who I am. I listen to Velocity Podcast. You don't really need to say that part. So as you lay down to sleep tonight, when you wake up tomorrow morning, just say one of these daily affirmations from Podcast. registered trademark, and make your life just a little bit better. You are sarcastic, but not in a shitty way, in a funny way. Your online IQ test was accurate. I will not tell someone that they are a moron today because they are their own burden. I know what that word means. I will use the terms moron and idiot correctly as they are relevant to actual IQ scores. My hair loss simply shows how much testosterone I have and lets everyone know what a manly man I am. I'm not having a midlife crisis. People are actually interested in my podcast. I am a thug on a unicorn. Those are some Velocity Podcast daily affirmations. And I hope you use them in your life to help you get through those tough days and make the world a slightly more beautiful place. Quora question, what unspoken rules exist in Japan that someone who's interested in Japanese culture should know about? I've lived in Japan a long time. I've actually run across not this specific question, but 
this concept, this idea of what should I know about Japan and Japanese culture and Japanese people to help me better navigate the turbulent waters that are a new society to me. And I've come up with what I consider a fairly unique and interesting answer, which is why I'm recording this in the hopes that, of course, my podcast is unique and interesting, that you'll listen to it again. It's all just a big sham. But what Western people in general have not experienced is truly polite society. Now, now I don't mean polite society in general. I mean the very specific style of Japanese politeness. Because to be polite... Japanese people feign interest in what you're saying. Here's the absolute truth that most people don't give a shit about most of the things you say. Something I've made fun of a lot on this podcast and Ninja News Japan is Japanese television. And Japanese television has people go to restaurants and eat food. So my example is always ramen. Ramen is good and it could be someone's favorite food and I would understand why. But from place to place, the ramen quality generally does not significantly change. If I go to a good ramen restaurant and then go to a different good ramen restaurant, they are on par, usually similar in taste and flavor. You can get different flavors and stuff, but it never makes me feel like this ramen is particularly different from this other ramen. What restaurants tend to do to put themselves apart is to add more stuff to the ramen. So you get like piles and piles and piles of stuff. On TV, they will eat one ramen and go, there's a couple sounds they make and there's a couple words for delicious. And they just basically repeat those over and over again. But it's almost as if they have never eaten food before and this is the most amazing food they've ever eaten. And I've talked to Japanese people about this phenomenon on television and they say, well, it would be very rude if you went and ate the food on television and didn't pretend to really enjoy it because you would be damaging the reputation of the restaurant, which is very fair. But you can see, they know it's fake because it is so fake, it's almost obvious where the guy starts screaming his head off because he's had ramen. But they know they're doing that on purpose. There have even been a couple of joke shows where they give the presenter something that they know tastes bad and they have to pretend they like it for the camera. This has a trickle-down effect. They teach people that you have to feign interest and pretend you like things to be polite. So now you are a Western person, you've come to Japan, you've arrived in Japan, you start talking to people. Now those people are going to feign interest, they're going to pretend they're really interested. They're going to pretend that the thing you're telling them is the most fascinating thing they've ever heard. Now the problem I've seen with foreign people is they've never experienced this before because you are a boring piece of shit and none of your stories are good. But here you are, for the first time in your life, experiencing people who are going, wow, that's really interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. And they're doing all the things to indicate that they are interested and they care about what you've told them. That is 100% false. They do not care about what you're saying because what you're saying is boring. Now, what happens to these foreigners is they get into their heads that they're actually interesting people. And so they talk more and more and they tell more and more stories and they get more excited about the idea of people listening to them. And they get worse as human beings because now they don't think they need to improve themselves or become more interesting or learn how to tell a story. They think they've already achieved that. So they actually get worse because it doesn't seem to matter what I say. Everyone's interested in what I'm saying, so I can say whatever I want. This is sort of the same thing that happens to famous people. Because people are always telling them they're great, they lose a sense of they need to actually improve. And that's why famous people, quite famously, are considered to be pieces of shit. 
because they've lost touch with reality. So a lot of foreigners go through the same thing. They lose touch with reality because everyone they meet in society is teaching them that they're an interesting and vibrant person and everything they say is worth listening to. So they get less and le- they have less and less ability to censor themselves and realize that their stories aren't interesting. I'm sure I actually fell into this trap myself where I was telling people stuff that just was not interesting. I have always talked a lot about judo because it's such a big part of my life. But I realized at some point that no one cares. So the only time I talk about it now is when it has an interesting story, usually about me getting hurt or doing something stupid, when it's culturally relevant, where it's something, a new experience or something like that. Or if someone asks specifically about it because they want to know. That's the only way you're really going to know if someone's interested is if they start asking you extra questions, follow-up questions, questions to get more details about your story. If they don't do that, if they just go, eh, ah, so, they just do all these noises that indicate interest and fascination, your story isn't interesting and it's not fascinating and you should stop talking about it. The part I wonder about now is when these people who come to Japan and start to feel like they're the most interesting person that's ever existed, when they go back to the West and people are not pretending to be interested in their story, how do they handle that? Because we have people who quit and go back to their country. And I can't see how they survive for any length of time because it has to be sort of shattering their worldview when people are suddenly not interested in anything they say anymore. And they're actually making it clear that they're not interested in what they're saying anymore. And they're actually going out of their way to show you that what you're saying isn't, isn't interesting. It has to be a massive, massive blow to the ego. So really, the unspoken rule that exists in Japan that every Western person should know before they come here is that people are going to pretend to be interested in you. Now that's not to say you can't become interesting because if you start making people laugh, those laughs are probably real. It's really hard to fake a laugh, especially a spontaneous one. If they start asking you questions and engaging you in a real two-way conversation, then they're actually interested. I figure the basic rule is if you come to Japan and you find yourself monologuing at length, then you are not doing it right. You are just talking and making noise and no one cares what you're talking about. So to me, that's not an unspoken rule because the rule is be polite to people who are talking to you and show interest. The problem is that the, since that doesn't exist in the West to the same degree, people, people always lose a sense of themselves and their own self-worth and what they're actually good at. And even worse than that is when you get repetitive, where they start telling the same story again and again. And Japanese people will still go, eh, oh, and they'll do all the noises and pretend they're interested every single time they hear the same story. The only referee for this, the only person who can get this under control is you. And it's you have to be aware of yourself, what you're saying and what you're thinking. And is it interesting? But a great way to test it would be to go to other Western people and start talking the same way and tell the same story and see how they react. Because if they're bored or uninterested or try to get you to stop, then probably Japanese people feel the same way. They're just not willing to show you. Quora question, can Superman beat Thanos? Thanos. Can Superman beat Thanos? You need to be more specific. Okay, so we have the, the first problem is they're from the two different universes. So the rules actually are probably slightly different in each universe, the DC universe and the Marvel universe. But really, there is a big question that needs to be asked. Does Thanos have the Infinity Glove and the Infinity Gauntlet? The only reason this becomes a question, because if he has the ability to change matter, one of the stones can change matter, which means it can change 
rock, let's say, into kryptonite. If he has that ability, then he could beat Superman quite easily. He could turn his clothes into kryptonite, Superman would fall out of the sky and he could just step on him, he would die. He could turn the land that they are fighting on, the battle area, into kryptonite, and then Superman would be helpless and he could defeat Superman that way. With the Infinity Glove and the ability to transform matter at will into other matter, it would be a very easy thing. I could beat Superman that way because I could come up with a dozen creative ways to create kryptonite that would negatively impact Superman. I could create kryptonite gloves that I wear when I punch him and a kryptonite armor and all kinds of stuff. All, everything could just be kryptonite. Um, and then Superman, that being his weakness, would not have the ability to fight back and he would lose. He would need someone to come save him. Without the glove, Superman would beat Thanos quite easily because of the sheer power level they've created when creating Superman. Now, I don't know if that's true if Superman was on Krypton. I don't know, because it's supposed to be the yellow sun that gives him his power. So back on Krypton, when I assume there's no yellow sun. Uh, does he have the same strength? Like, do, Krypto do Kryptonians have a level of power on their own planet that they would have in, out in space? Like, so on Krypton, they can't fly, and the yellow sun is why you can fly, things like that. If Thanos fought Superman on Krypton, is Superman just a regular dude? Then yes, he could beat him. If they fight under the yellow sun, it seems like it would be an impossibility. In general, can Superman beat Thanos the man? Yes. Can Superman beat Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet, or anyone else for that matter, with the Infinity Gauntlet? It seems like a hard no. It actually seems like Superman wouldn't even have a chance. Quora question, what is the oldest tree in the world? It's Kyle. Here's a really interesting experiment. It was when the hot air balloon was invented. They wanted to figure out, would we be able to go that high in the sky and still be able to breathe? So now we have a general sense of we can go really high and breathing is still fine. But of course, there was a time when you didn't know that because we were essentially locked on the ground. We weren't capable of flight. So the concern was if you went up in a hot air balloon too high, you wouldn't be able to breathe and then you would die and that's pretty bad. So there was a gentleman named Mongolfier, and he wanted to do an experiment. So he put a duck, a chicken, and a sheep into a hot air balloon and sent it up and then brought it back to see how they did. It seems like an odd compendium of animals to put together, but if you actually look at the individual animals, you can see that there was a logic to those choices, which I somehow really appreciate. So the duck. The duck is an animal that flies, so obviously it can fly really high in the sky. We don't know what the upper limit is, it's very difficult for us to measure, but we know that ducks are birds that can fly. They can go high in the air and they are able to breathe. By extrapolation, the chicken. The chicken is a flightless bird, which means it has been locked on the ground just like we have, it's not able to fly. So will it be the same, will it, be able, will it have the same ability to breathe at high altitude that the duck does? And if it does or doesn't, then we can cut them open and take a look at what's inside and see what's different. And this might help us understand what it takes to breathe at higher altitudes. Now, the sheep is not a bird. The sheep is a mammal like us. So maybe the chicken through evolution or something still shares a trait that it could breathe at high altitudes. So that might not be enough to tell us. Being flightless might not be enough 
for us to know if it relates enough to us so that we know if we can survive or not. So the sheep was the substitute for the human being. It is an animal that has, as far as we know, has never flown, has similar internal organs and systems to us as human beings. So if it comes back okay, then we have a sense of whether it's not whether or not it's safe for humans to go up in a hot air balloon. But if the sheep died for some reason, we knew the difference was we knew the difference was between the chicken and the sheep. If the chicken died, which I assume then would also kill the sheep because of some other problem, we would know that it was might be a land-based problem for animals that have never flown before. If all three died, we knew it was unsafe to go that high in the sky. When you look in retrospect and you look at this experiment, it seems very odd. A duck, a chicken, and a sheep were sent up in a hot air balloon. But if you look at the reasoning, and I don't know if this was the actual reasoning. This is what I extrapolated from just having the animals listed out before me. There, is, it, there seems to be a very definite logic to each animal that was chosen to go up in the hot air balloon before humans did. This goes along with another conception that people had and had to be disproven when the car was invented, if it could go so fast, if it hit 40 miles an hour, that humans wouldn't be able to breathe anymore and we would die. So there was a belief at one time that that would be, the wind would be so fast that we wouldn't be able to breathe in. I think the idea was that the compression would be so strong on our chest that we wouldn't be able to breathe out because the wind would be going 40 miles an hour. So if the wind was going 40 miles an hour, we wouldn't be able to push back hard enough. We would suffocate and die. Now, it took a long time before cars could actually go 40 miles an hour, but this was a long-held belief until it was disproven. It was disproved by slowly increasing how fast they would go. It was basically the test piloting of the past where they had a new vehicle, it could go faster, they needed to put someone with a lot of gumption in it to get in the car and drive as fast as they could and then see if they could still breathe. But of course the drivers found with a windscreen, a helmet and goggles was all it really took. You were able to breathe at 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour without too much trouble. Sure, there's a lot of wind, but we know that race cars are basically open and you are still as a human able to breathe at much, much faster speeds. It's interesting to think there was a time when this had to be experimented on where we we didn't know we had to test the theory now it was surprising they didn't put a pig or a sheep into the car and then drive it at 40 miles an hour and see what happened but it is interesting to go back and think about the first time people had to do things it comes up the most to me when we hit weird foods like who was the first person to take that and eat it or take that and cook it in this safe this certain way so that it was now safe to eat because we have lots of foods that if you eat raw will kill you but if you cook it in a specific way are perfectly safe so some appreciation needs to go out for Montgolfier and his duck his chicken and his sheep because now we can all enjoy the super efficient travel in hot air balloons podcast the loss of podcast hey sexy friend he's making me his bitch thank you for listening if you have questions or comments you can tweet at velocipeter or email velocipodcast at gmail.com you can find the podcast on itunes stitcher a cast or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast <laughs>